If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, welcome to the latest episode of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. On today's show, we will talk to Golden State Warrior Sean Livingston about his connection with me. Yes, me. See, we both kind of came of age, if you if you would say, in Peoria, Illinois. And so we've been curious to talk to athletes about, uh, for a while now, about their connection to their hometown. I have a really nice conversation with Sean uh, about growing up in Peoria that I think, it, whether you lived there or not, which most of you did not, um, it's just a great story about an. <laughs> it's just a great story about an athlete's connection to his hometown. What it's like to go from, uh, you know, someone who's just sort of a, a star in the town to someone who's now a, a globally recognized figure on on you know a famous team and, and the legacy they feel for their hometown. And then also he he really opens up about growing up biracial in the Midwest and about, uh, you know, his favorite pizza places on War Memorial Drive versus Farmington Road. So whether you live in California or uh, Hong Kong, that's relevant to you. I know it. Uh, we, will also, <laughs> we will also break down the latest in LeVar Ball news so that your ears bleed into your headphones and force you to get a new pair, and so much more. I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago, but tonight... I am in Detroit, which means Jalen Rose, wherever you are. Detroit basketball. Adam, did I do that right? That's correct. Okay, I'm just checking. Joining me, as you've heard, uh, two two of our of our co-hosts. We'll start with longtime PR rep who has long time with the University of Colorado, the Green Bay Packers, and many global sports brands it's adam millard adam uh let me start here yes favorite midwestern city to visit while you're working i'm in detroit tonight so like where do you like to go well i lived in green bay and chicago was always my favorite city to visit which is why i moved here uh it's definitely not detroit um it's not minneapolis um you know, some of my best memories of working with the Packers were visiting Indianapolis during combine time. It was like the ultimate, um, like you would see uh, two famous NFL coaches in the same room at a bar next to you or um, a conglomeration of people who had played to get, played together years ago who are now there as scouts. So I have fond memories of Indianapolis. So I'll go with Indy. And uh, speaking of Indy, our other co-host on the line, Gareth Hughes, seven-time yeah. Emmy-winning sports yeah. producer in, in Boston or in, in, in Brooklyn. Gareth, you and I went to a Final Four in Indi- Indianapolis. Please describe the, describe to our listeners what happened when I said. Let's just go inside seven hours early and get some beers. <laughs> I, think we, I thought we told this story, but basically, because it was an NCAA event, there were no beers. Uh, Man. But while we're on the topic, I want to 
All right, you guys go to a lot of big sport events, sporting events. To me, they should only happen in New Orleans or Indianapolis. And I'm saying Super Bowls included. I want to be able to stay in a hotel, walk to a bar or restaurant, and walk to the arena. That is all I that is all you need out of a place to have a sporting event. And those I think are the only two cities at this point with a downtown arena big enough to accommodate that like nope. a Super Bowl final four. No. Okay. I, I love what the first thing you said in terms of, I want to be close and walkable, but I actually uh-huh. feel like cities like Indy Dallas have achieved that. If you do it right. Um, the problem is just the weather and people like freak out about the weather, but it's like, or Minnesota is another good example. I think the Super Bowl is back Dallas? this year. Okay, no, no, wait, 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 wait. Dallas, oh, wait. Minnesota's a good example. Minnesota does work. Dallas okay. is a 40-minute drive everywhere. Okay, wait. Yeah, I, that, I, I, yeah. I was just thinking, Brad, like... Brad, you remember. I was just thinking, first of all, I didn't sleep in Dallas for so long, and I never even saw the outside. <laughs> so when someone said there's an ice storm, I was like, what? Um, the, the, the thing I was saying about Dallas was, like, the downtown is, like, easily walkable there. But you're right, the stadium is far away. But I'm thinking like in Minnesota or Indy, it's not too hard to get around down there. I, you know what? I have to say, I regret bringing this up because as we talk about it, I was like, oh shit, we've become Peter King. <laughs> like this is the Peter oh King Super Bowl talk. Like, like reviewing what each Super Bowl city is like. I worked for the Patriots. <laughs> what an inconvenience it was. Super yeah. Bowl. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And everyone was complaining about Jacksonville hosting a Super Bowl. You guys were in Dallas for the ice storm. Everyone was complaining about that. I, I apologize. I, I, I drove right. us into sports media. But no, I will throw another one in there. I think another walkable place, and they've made it a tradition with their soccer team um, in Seattle. That That's an excellent walkable city. Will they have a Super Bowl there because of the weather? Maybe not. Uh, but I think I would add that to the list of places they should host. But then, Gareth, sometimes it's just the fun of the city. Like I would also, I think cities that do it well, I think I would also throw San Diego and Miami in there. They just know they have the infrastructure um, and they they aren't phased by how gigantic the event is. I remember my first Super Bowl was in Detroit and they did, it was a valiant effort, but the city just clearly wasn't <laughs> prepared to take on that number of people or to try to entertain them for a week. And some of those other cities, they just know how to do it. Detroit, a valiant effort. <laughs> there you, that's yeah. your slogan. Adam, I'll, I'll let them know. I mean, I, I'll let them know while I'm here. Yeah. Good job. Good effort. Good job. Good effort. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, way to go. You're never getting another one. All right. First of all, Gareth, Peter King is a friend of the show <laughs> and I'll not have you. I will not have you <laughs> ripping him. He's been on episode 13, I believe. Ed Reed episode two. Uh, <laughs> second of all, I'm kind of the opposite camp. Now, I would say that the person who, who was most notorious about complaining about it was Tony Kornheiser, who did a whole column in the Washington Post about how much he did not want to go to Jacksonville for the Super Bowl. And the only person he interviewed for that column was Tony Reale, <laughs> who was his co- fucking co-host at the time. And, and Slate did a whole article about how lazy it was. <laughs> but 
I, I think these Midwestern cities, like Chicago would absolutely destroy a Super Bowl. It'd be great. I know it's a little bit of a hike if you're downtown, but it is walkable. Uh, the trains kind of suck, but like they would figure it out. But if you were staying downtown, you could get down there. That'd be great. And I just do not want to hear about weather. Like, I just don't. Like, it, it, it's football. Like, who? Like two weeks before, you're watching Green Bay playing the slog. And hold on. Uh, two weeks before, you're watching Green Bay playing some slog. And uh, two weeks later, it's like, oh, my God, I could never watch. I could never watch an NFL game if, if the weather wasn't great. Ah! Like, I just I've never understood that mentality at all. Who cares? Like playing in Kansas City. Like, I, it's just like just rotate it. I mean, who cares? Soldier Field is a terrible place to watch a game. What a poorly constructed stadium. I disagree wholeheartedly. I, I don't think they should ever have a Super Bowl there. Okay. Hey, hey, Adam, if you could, it's hard to hear Not you to- on your Frank Lloyd Wright boat tour right now. I get the aesthetic <laughs> issues with Soldier Field, but it's actually a fine yeah. place to watch the game because they fucked up the construction so bad. All the sight lines are actually pretty condensed and good. Like you try watching a game in old Riverfront Stadium where the Bengals played, and you're gonna throw up. It's like you are on the Matterhorn. Like you just, there's no way to. Well, that's watch a again. different story. There, yeah, I don't ever want to see a Super Bowl in Cincinnati. Here's all I have to say. I'm really proud of us. It is the opening night of the NFL season. Literally, the Patriots Chiefs game is going on as we're recording this pod. And we are in playoff level bitching and complaining mode <laughs> about, about NFL. <laughs> NFL media stuff. Like, I'm really proud of this group. No days off. We came out of training camp fired up and ready to go to complain about the NFL season. By well week, done, by we, week well six, <laughs> by week six, I will be offering 20 minute reviews of the bagels in the media center. <laughs> Like, like, fuck these places. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. Right now, we're going to take the open of the show and make it even more wide open. Talk about anything. Anything away from the game is fair game. Uh, Adam, we have an old friend who's making another appearance. Uh, why don't you break down your wide open? Man, where do we start? Uh, LeVar Ball, uh, a true... Cancer to sports, um, and his his sons continue to make controversy. This week, Lonzo Ball, uh, I guess this was came from his reality show, said specifically about hip hop: "Migos and Future is real hip hop. Nobody listens to Nas anymore." Uh, <laughs> What okay. a dick. What a dick. I hate this guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So this is the opinion of a very sheltered 19-year-old. So I don't mean that to disparage him. I just mean like, sure, he's allowed, He's entitled to have his opinions on music. Um, is are Nas's albums selling like they used to? No. But would hip-hop be what it is today without him? No. I... I I just don't know what the end game for the balls is. They seem to have a platform to say some positive things, and they choose not to. LeVar Ball also enraged me this week um, by talking about his 
son's new shoe, his youngest son, Lamelo, who is 16, has his own signature shoe, which means if he receives any profit from that shoe, he is not permitted to play college basketball, to which LeVar responded to media saying, hey, uh, the NCAA isn't my boss. If they won't let us in, that's okay. LaMelo will just sit out a year and we'll get him ready for the NBA without seemingly ever asking LaMelo if he wanted to play college basketball. It just, I think it irks me that LeVar Ball, who is also now in the NBA 2K game, has the influence and the pop culture uh, celebrity status that he does. When back in the 1990s, we were looking at Todd Marinovich's dad and going, wow, what a thundering asshole this guy is for what he did to his son. And you can't help but think that at least one of the ball kids is going to go down that same road because their father's a dickhead. Yeah, let me jump in real quick, guys, on this. Wait, real quick. Let me jump in here because... I'm pretty angry at NBA 2K. And and look, we just had Kevin Harlan on. Uh, go check out that episode from a few weeks ago. He's the voice of the game. It was great. Uh, shout out to Forbes and Kotaku, the score for writing about our interview. It was great. Here's my here's my issue. It seems like LeVar Ball just has like a cameo in the game. What yeah. we needed was like, you know how you have like player, like player kind of like career mode? I I really would have played the game if it had been like crazy dad mode. If you could have just been like the Todd Marinovich dad of NBA 2K, I'm like back on the LeVar train, you know, like, like, yes, like you are owning your brand as crazy. Instead, it's just like these random appearances. And what this guy's become is a walking soundbite that no one needs. I get being a walking soundbite and being provocative. It's not provocative to say that Nas is old. Yeah, he's old, but he's Nas. Leave him alone. <laughs> like, come on. I don't know what this family's goal is. Like, the Kardashians clearly had to do, had to take this route because they have no actual talent. LeVar's three sons are all gifted basketball players. Not to say, of course, on this show, not to say that they can't voice their opinions on anything, but... I mean, can we inject some positivity into the ball narrative at some point? It just seems like every everything is a negative hot take on some pop culture issue, and fans seem to hate them for it, yet continue to give them attention. Well, th- that's actually what I wanted to ask. What do you think the end game is here? What's what's the? Is this just somebody who? Because th- there was a great there's a great line today. On Twitter, it was about like the 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 Verit site that Hillary Clinton's campaigners launched. That's getting savaged, and rightfully so. Nathaniel Friedman, uh, Free Darko, Bethlehem Shoals, from way back. Uh, I know, I know, I know Bethlehem like, Shoals, man. We used to work together on Gatorade stuff, man. He's uh, he's a good peep. Well, so he basically said he's like all these people who are saying no press is bad press for this website. Do not work in marketing because I work in marketing. <laughs> yeah. And this is all terrible press. And and it was I thought it was just a really good, simple line. And it made me wonder, like, Adam, to your point with the ball family, like, 
are they just not are they going into this thinking if people are talking about us it's a win when in fact that is not the case well i think that i've read a couple articles that lavar ball seems to be very popular with uh the basically their target demographic for the big baller brand which that's i think that's what really bothers me i just don't understand why because he's loud and boisterous and gets kicked out of games is that what kids are looking for i I just i guess i can't connect to what the appeal of his image is but yeah he is in 2k as basically he talks to um your you can go through a career mode and he basically has negative things to say to your character through social media um via the game can we keep the nepotism uh, train going and talk about the new Bachelor? Because a few weeks ago on this show, we had Reality Steve, a.k.a. Steve Carbone, a.k.a. Jim Rome Show, which is a.k.a. The Jungle, <laughs> legendary caller and smack-off winner, on the show to talk about The Bachelor and also his role in Sports Talk. And today they announced a new Bachelor. But when, when Steve was on the show, I said, when, it, when is the show going to go back to sports? When are they going to go back to um, you know, when are they going to go back to like when they had Jesse Palmer on and they had even more crossover potential? And he was like, I, you know, I just don't see that coming. I'm, they're always going to go back to the people who've been on their show. Well, I kind of forgot about Ari Lewandyke Jr., you know, a former IndyCar driver, son of uh, Ari Lewandyke Sr., the IndyCar driver, multiple time Indy 500 winner. He was the runner-up on Emily Maynard's season, and now he's the new Bachelor. And this came out of nowhere. I mean, there was a guy who got spurned on this edition of the show near the end, and it was kind of his fault, and I felt like he was angry to be the Bachelor, um, who I thought was going to get picked. And then this Ari pick came, and it was, like, really weird on Twitter today about it. Uh, Like, reality, Steve, I'm just saying... He's bringing some Rome level takes on Ari on his Twitter feed, and I am enjoying it. <laughs> like, war. So can I can I ask a question? Can I ask a question about this? What what is is the controversy that they broke format and it was such a surprise, or is there something? Is there a character issue with the Bachelor himself? Well, let's read some of Reality Steve's tweets and we'll see see what we're mean here. Here he is. Uh, you're, okay. you're being sold a load of crap with Ari, the biggest dog they've ever cast as the Bachelor in history. Good luck. He's going to need it. And then he starts tweeting other stuff that's pouring in from people who are like, oh, it's already starting. And they're all just like, he is sleeping around. He goes to sororities and hooks up with 18-year-olds, even though he's in his mid-30s. He's a total dog. There's one here that's just like this is his his girlfriend from the past eight, like for the past like 15 months that he just clearly dumped to go on the show once they started talking to him about it. So <laughs> I just feel like the problem with The Bachelor to me is when they they try to manufacture this this narrative of, oh, these guys just can't find love and this is their last shot. These guys can all find love. Like they, they can hook up with anyone at the bar all they want. And so 
if a dude's out there just on the prowl and using his celebrity to hook up, that's totally fine. But when they, they put him on the show, they're going to man- manufacture this story about how I'm still searching for the one. And when you do that, the, the cracks can show. I mean, like with Juan Pablo season, they couldn't even hide it anymore. Like the guy just wanted to bang a bunch of chicks and uh, not care. So we'll see if he can keep up appearances, but I was fascinated to see the reaction. And of course, I mean, the sports world loves The Bachelor. The only thing that really drove me crazy was like, why this guy? Like, why not go out and get like an actual athlete that people would know, like a backup quarterback again, like Jesse Palmer or a dude from the NBA. Go get Clay Thompson. Why isn't Clay Thompson the fucking bachelor? Maybe they did. Maybe those guys said, I don't need that kind of press. It seems like yeah, a no win situation you if you're an athlete. Me, yeah. Like, Oh, fuck. what was it? I was listening to some, Oh, the Canon recently did, uh, the Albert Brooks movie real life. It was his first film. And it was from the late seventies and it was actually a look at the idea of reality television. It was like a very prescient film for that reason. And it talked about how they actually talked about like when people go on things like the bachelor and bachelorette, it used to be, Oh, that's cool. What a great opportunity. And now it's like, come on, you knew what you're getting into. Like, I, I don't think any of those people like, that is perfect for Ari Lyon Dyke Jr. Ari Lyon Dyke Jr. is the kind of guy that says yes to that. Clay Thompson doesn't need that stuff. You know, hey, like can that, I ask another question? How recently did he retire? Oh, from racing? I don't know, man. I mean his yeah. his his Twitter bio says Indy Indy five hundred participant, which come on. <laughs> like I mean, I guess okay. I guess I'd be yeah. I guess I'd be pretty pumped if I like God, I guess it's like kind of like saying Olympian. I don't know. Your dad won it twice. Like you could have probably, they would have probably let you ride your bike in it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have a, so I, I don't know that this is a popular take, but I have having worked in the world of sports. I think it is a bad idea for players to get married while they are, still active players. So I'm a big fan of uh, the Derek Jeter play. uh, And maybe this bachelor is retired and really looking for love. And in that case, I fully support it. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Moving on. Okay. So no, no, I, I want to piggyback off that. And what I want to say is I am going to forego my wide open this week to hammer. And that hammer is going to be Jeremy Shockey. So when I worked on inside the NFL, I was um, Jeremy Shockey was on one week and we were back in the green room talking and he had like a lot of interesting things to say about playing in the NFL. Now say what you will about Jeremy Shockey. I don't really care. But this is a guy that went to college at the U and then played for the New York Giants and New Orleans Saints, like among other teams. But like those three in a row, like you could not lay out a better run of like party towns for a young single guy just to go crazy in. Um, whether you like it or not, doesn't matter. Like that's just sort of fact. 
And so he had he had thoughts on what to do with his money and things like that. But basically, this is I'm gonna hammer it because I'd like to hear him expand on this. But his number one thing was he told people when he get, when you get into the NFL, go get a vasectomy. It's reversible. You, you just won't get in trouble. And he basically said, like, I mean, you just think of the problems that that cuts out. Hey, I think it's yours. Yeah, no, it's not mine, babe. I'm sorry. You know, um, I just think that there are ways, Adam, to your point, for athletes to handle this stuff. And um, yeah, Jeremy Shockey, come on the show. Tell us more. And uh, unrelated, real, I am. Real uh, talk. I'm also pro vasectomy. So moving on, <laughs> let's uh, let's let's uh, let's get into our guest this week. Look, I was really happy to have a chance to talk with Sean Livingston. Um, Sean, a a a top five uh, NBA draft pick, a catastrophic knee injury when he was with the Clippers. Uh, came back, worked his way around the league relentlessly, landed on the clip, or landed on the Warriors, and has now been part of one of the greatest runs of all time. And we were so excited to not talk to him about any of that, <laughs> but to focus to focus on his hometown, uh, Peoria, Illinois. Now, this is not a talk just about Peoria. Yeah, we we, we get into a little bit of like. You know where were the where were the bars you went to, and of course he was like, guys, I was only eighteen, uh, so I couldn't uh, I couldn't go. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure that they didn't let in the uh, the top five NBA draft pick to like Sully's downtown, bro. Like <laughs> they were handling my pass back <laughs> as a sophomore in college. Like give me a break. <laughs> um, but mostly it's about an athlete's connection to their hometown. We hear about it all the time. And I just thought it'd be fun to talk to someone about it who I spent 10 years in Peoria. I went there for college and I worked there at the paper. Sean and I were there at the same time. And I think we had a good time experience or just talking about our experiences, talking about what it was like to watch him develop a true legacy, hearing about what it's been like to see the, the pressure he feels to do more for the community now that, that he's so well known for being on this Warriors team, which he, he was open about. And this is a guy who gave a million dollars to his grade school. And he didn't get the max, okay? Like, that's a big chunk of his change. And he talks very openly about, awesome. about why he did that, the, the pressure he feels. And then finally, I would say this. If you're Bradley uh, uh, University alumni, like myself, and you're listening to this, um, I talked to Sean about there's, there's, there's a Peoria you didn't see. And it's, uh, it's, it's black Peoria. And, um, and I saw it when I lived there. And I tutored uh, in, the, in the community. Uh, down by Manual High School, and I, and I and I asked Sean quite candidly, like, how was your experience different than mine? And he wasn't critical of the city; he was just honest about about life. And I think we've talked on this show a lot about hearing diverse perspectives, and and if it's a if it's a problem for for a white guy and a black guy from the same town to talk about how that town might have been different for them, uh, then I don't think we're the problem. I think the people hearing it are. So if you're a Peoria resident, God bless you. We love Peoria. And uh, if you're not, it's a, just a fun interview. It's an interesting interview about athletes and their connections back home, even as they find success. After that, we will be back with our distractions. Stick around.
All right. Well, let me start here. I, I, you know, I got a lot of questions for you about you know the work you've been doing in Peoria, about the the connection. But every time I'm back in the city, man, every time I'm back, I have to go to Avanti's to get a gondola, and I have to go to Leonardo's Pizza uh, yes. for some thin crust. I'm just wondering, like, where are your hometown like must haves when you're back home? Yes, definitely um, Avanti's um, gondola or the pizza burger. It's a staple. Yeah, it's a staple. It's it's like a staple in my life. Um, <laughs> being able to go back and you know get one of those just because you can't, um, you know, you can't get those anywhere else outside of Central Illinois. And then another one I'd probably say would be um, there's a couple other spots. One as far as pizza, similar to Leonardo's uh, pizza, the thin crust. Um, it's Monocles. Okay. Um, yeah. Same kind of same kind of style. Same kind of you know uh, tradition. Um, it's been there forever since I was, since I was born, uh, amazing pizza. And then I would probably have to say, uh, there's a wing place called rum burgers and they have all different types of, uh, of wings similar to wing stop, but you know, more of a local, local twist. And, um, the honey golds, man, it's, it's something it's magical. <laughs> it's magical. <laughs> I love that it's magical. magical. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because when I bring like my, my, it's hard. Peoria is a really hard place to describe to people because it's a right. fairly significant it's a fairly significant sized city, but it's it's certainly not Chicago or or San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when my my wife was in Chicago and I was in Peoria. We were long distance for four years, and when I would describe Peoria before she visited there, she she later told me she was picturing like a dirt road with a Walmart on one side and like my house on the other. And exactly. yet when she got to town, it was completely different. How do you describe the city to uh, whether it's teammates or just other people who have no, they've probably heard the name. It's a famous city name, but they have no idea what to expect. It's more of a, a, a big town, small city, you know, yep. um, that's kind of how I would, I would describe it. You know, obviously there's country, it's cornfields all around, you know, um, outside of the actual um, city, you know, but it's, you know, there, there's things to do. Um, it's just, you know, it's just more of a bigger town, small city vibe. Um, you know, definitely a blue collar type of town. You know, I was there from 97 to 2007. So definitely overlapped um, uh, when, when, when you were coming of age there. But I, you know, I was there for college and a little bit beyond. Like, what was it like growing up there as a kid? What'd you guys do for fun? You know, I mean, you just, it seems so much bigger. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It seems so much bigger when you're a kid. I mean, it's just like, you know, it was a different times, obviously, you know, late eighties, early nineties, baby. So just growing up, I mean, you know, you were always outside. Um, yep. that was kind of the, the, you know, that was kind of the, the, the model, um, in our house. It was just, you know, if you're, if you're going outside, stay outside. You know, yeah. don't come in, in and out the house, slamming the door. So we were always outside on our bikes, riding around, you know, sports was everything. So, you know, it's either black football, you know, when we were really young, it was obviously, um, tag, high go seek, freeze tag, all the, you know, all the games, man. So, I mean, it was just, um, it seems so much bigger. Um, as we got older, riding our bikes around to play pickup basketball, flag football, um, you know, I played played and dabbled in a little baseball so it, it just it just always seemed a lot bigger until i got older and started seeing the world and was like wow 
<laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> you know, it's it's actually a small town. Well, I'm, I was the same way in terms of like, I remember when Stranger Things came back last year and, and, and just being reminded, oh yeah, when we were kids, like our parents let us do things like get on a bike and go away all day. And now exactly. I have kids and I'm like, no way. If she's, no if way. she's out of my sight for five seconds, I'm like calling a cell phone, trying to, trying to get the cops there. Exactly. I, I, and I think it's just kind of the times, right? I mean, just our, seems like our parents were just, you know, so much more trusting. Um, and then it's just the, the times, it's just crazier now, you know, it's, everything is just so unpredictable. And, you know, one, I mean, I have a seven month, you know, seven month year old daughter. Yeah. And, um, it's just like, you know, the, the trust, right. It's just like, man, you know, it, it's hard to really let the leash go because anything can happen. And, you know, it's just different times. You know, my dad was just like, you know, just go, <laughs> you know, but be back in before the street lights. So, yeah. Right. Well, where was the, uh, you know, look, Peoria's got a, uh, it's got a nightlife to it. Everything's open until four in the morning. Some places till five in the morning. Were right. you a, were you a downtown bar guy or a a Farmington Road bar guy? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, when I when I left, I was eighteen, so I wasn't able to you know yeah. get out to the bars. Um, oh, sure you I weren't. Sure, yeah. The, the Sean Livingston, future NBA star. No one would ever have let him in <laughs> underage anywhere, right? Right, 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 right. <laughs> but I mean, when I came back, you know, it was there was the the staples, you know, the Solis. Um, yeah. You know, there was there was all the staples that was there. The Hoops Pizza, you know, where you go after hours, you know, after all the bars closed, you uh-huh. go there for pizza. So, um, you know, I was more of a downtown guy. Um, yeah. You know. Uh, but but you also you know you also had the cruisers on Farmington Roads and, yeah you know all those different spots so um, I was a big fan a, of Jimmy's on Farmington Road yes, and uh, yes. the lu- the lucky lady in its day when I was in, in school <laughs> <Yeah>. man <laughs> yeah, so I remember all of those all of those <laughs> well how many how many bars do you think how many restaurants do you think have your jersey hanging up especially like your Peoria like Central Jersey right right um not many there, I, honestly um we only had a couple jerseys made. The Clippers jersey was a little bit more, um, you know, that was passed around a little bit more. I think maybe there, there's a handful. There's a handful. I mean, I would say probably five to ten, you know, restaurants in the city, which which is a lot because there's not a whole lot of restaurants in the city, you know. See, the pro the pro move is for them to have your Slam Magazine cover with you, Dwight, Sebastian Telfer, and Marvin Williams, and you've got yes. the pole position, man. You're like right under the logo. I mean, you got to flip. You got to flip. You got to flip a page to get down to like Josh Smith, man. I- right, right, right. Yeah, I'm I'm right on the cover. That was definitely an iconic cover. Um, just for the culture of basketball, you know, high school sports. Um, you know, the draft, all the all those guys. You know, we all went into the NBA draft out of high school, so yeah, it was. Um, you know, that was just the the sign of the times. You know, definitely iconic in that 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 movement. Um, and then the fro too had the fro out. You know, oh so yeah, that was like. <laughs> I was like, man, who is the skinny, skinny dude with the fro? <laughs> well, first of all, you get a little bit, a couple extra inches for the, uh, for the combine, uh, with that hair, you know? And then I, I don't know, man, I, that's what I remember so distinctly was you had, you had a very distinct look, your teams were winning during that time, but also Peoria was the capital of basketball in, in a sense that, um, in, in the state, I mean, sure there was Chicago and, and all the great players up there, but they all had to come through Peoria for state finals. So as a youth and someone who, who very clearly understood, I'm always been fascinated by this. At what age did you really think going pro is attainable for me? And when, 
when you knew that guys like Kevin Garnett, uh, you know, Darius Miles, AJ Guyton were, were kind of cycling through, or, or some of those guys even played in Peoria, like when, when they're cycling through town, like how do you compartmentalize like watching other future pros knowing that you're going to compete against them one day? Just to kind of put everything into perspective, um, probably between from 16 to 18, um, it, it was the craziest time of my basketball career or one of the craziest times, especially at that age. Um, just with all the hype, everything that, you know, was kind of gathering up, it was just kind of a storm really coming into place um, with all the attention. And I think it was a combination, um, you know, at growing up watching some of the, the Peoria greats, you know, how are you thinking Howard Nathan hoop dreams, even further back, Tony Weisinger played at university of Illinois. Um, and then my era was more of Frank Williams, yeah. uh, Sergio McClain, Marcus Griffin, uh, Mike Robinson, all these guys that went off to play at big time schools, Purdue, Illinois, uh, Indiana, AJ Guyton, you know, all these guys were, you know, kind of what I watched growing up. Um, then, you know, Michael Jordan was everybody's hero. That was kind of everybody, every kid's, you know, dream uh, to be like Mike, right? But, um, you know, I had these local heroes and right. these guys really shaped um, my perspective and, you know, kind of like, you know, they, they shaped my dreams, you know, really just wanting to play at the field house. If you're from Peoria, you know, you know, the field house was an iconic place where the Bradley Braves played. Yeah. Um, you know, in the fifties when they were a national powerhouse and, you know, then the high school games of manual central, you know, was, was like Friday nights was just like everything. And from for the city. So, um, again, all of that happening and me growing up around those times and then to actually, you know, for it to be my time, you know, at 16, 17, junior, senior year, you know, one of the top ranked players in the country, point guards, it was just kind of everything coming to fruition. Um, and it was just, it, you know, like I was just trying to be in the moment. Um, I would probably say my senior year, uh, going into my senior year, um, I played AAU. There was, I mean, there was a ton of scouts that came to the games because back then scouts would come to AAU tournaments, you know, to yeah. basically watch and scout talent and see the kids and see, you know, it was their chance to watch them. We'd go to big cities like Las Vegas, Chicago, New York, and, you know, and you'd start seeing these guys like, man, there's John Paxton, man, there's Chris Mullen, you know, and you're in high school. And, right. You know, I obviously know who these players, you know, who these guys are. They played in the league, but now they work for teams, they're general managers. So it was just like, man, you know, it was like, it, it was just a whirlwind. And I think I was just kind of really caught up in the moment, you know, just really being in the moment, trying not to let it get the best of me, trying to get better, um, you know, prove to everybody that I was as good as advertised, you know, even though it was hard, you know, but um, it was a whirlwind, man, definitely. So I grew up in a small town in Ohio, um, and I spent my whole young adult life just angling to get out and go elsewhere. Um, mm -hmm. Clearly, you've moved on, but you, you've stayed very close with Pure. You go back every year, your foundation does a ton of work there. What what is the emotional connection that you have to the city? Well, I mean, one being born and raised, um, and then coming out of the city. Right. Um, anytime that, you know, you're from a place, you know, to where, uh, you know, just like any small town or it's kind of a small town mentality. I mean, 
you know, you can end up being in one place for too long and then you end up being there forever. And Mm -hmm. it's a sense of where, you know, you want to inspire, you know, like I I always, you know, my thing is I want to aspire to inspire and it's more of showing kids, showing young adults, you know, kids all the way to the age of, you know, six, seven, eight, all the way when they start dreaming where it's like, you know, there's more to life than what you see every day, you know? And it's, and, and for me, that, that's, that's the beautiful thing about the game of sports, you know, on a professional level, especially because of the type of impact you have, the type of platform that you have to make an impact. Right. right? Um, you know, we're, we're playing in front of, you know, 20,000 people in an arena and we're playing in front of millions of people over television. And it's just like, you know, for, for us to be able to go back to our hometowns, my hometown specifically in Peoria, to go back to Peoria every summer, you know, and to be able to provide, uh, whether it's, you know, basketball camps, uh, whether it's programming, you know, whether it's, um, you know, we do bike rides, um, backpack, whatever it is, it's more of just the interaction, right? It's more of just being there and giving your time. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, that are involved in charities or whatever. And, but I just think that, you know, when you're donating money and, and, you know, it's, it only goes so far, yeah. you know, but I think, I think when you're donating time, you know, like you're actually investing time, that's the greatest investment that you can give in, in, in trying to invest in people is giving them your time because that's something that's tangible and it's something that's long lasting, you know, and, to be able to try to inspire those kids every summer we come back and, you know, I'm able to, you know, spend time with them, talk to them, sit down, you know, give them high fives one-on-one time, you know, um, you know, just put one of the kids in a headlock and mess around with them. Like, you know, like I was your age, I was, you know, in your shoes, you know, I was, you know, I was born in this place, raised in this place, had the same dreams that you do, you know, Uh, and, and it's possible, you know, it's possible. Don't, think that you know um because life throws you a curveball or because your you know your circumstances are not of you know the next person's it's like you know it's always possible and you just try to you know aspire to inspire in that way and that's kind of how i've seen it what's the reaction like from youths who meet you given how much your i mean look the warriors have dominated the nba not just on the court but in terms of the perception of the league i would argue you guys uh, you guys in the LeBron era Heat are the two most popular teams since the Jordan Bulls, mm-hmm. and and that's created an entirely new legacy for you back home, right? I mean, what's been what's it been like the last few years um, in terms of the way that your visits are, are sort of treated, you know, from the kids right. in town? Right. Absolutely. I mean, it only shines the light. You know, the light only gets that much brighter. Right. The platform gets that much bigger. Um, you know, and I don't think, you know, I don't think it would be the same. You know, I know it probably wouldn't be the same if I didn't go to the Warriors three years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, the, the opportunity that we've had, the opportunity to play, you know, with future Hall of Famers and to play on, you know, uh, the level of, of an NBA finals where you're playing in front of the world, um, you know, and to accomplish some of the things that we've done. Um, I think it's really you know, kind of transcended the culture, 
you know, the culture of basketball and, you know, the way we play and um, how much fun and how much joy that we have playing together, you know, and using that teamwork and just kind of showing, you know, kids that it's just not all about me and I, 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 it's, you know, it's maybe it's about the next person and, you know, like how far that can, you know, how far that can get you is being selfless. Right. I mean, just certain, certain areas, you know, in certain aspects, um, you know, that I think just really go outside of basketball and, uh, you know, without the Warriors, without some of the players, you know, that I've had a chance and honor to play with, you know, it definitely wouldn't hit home the same way that it has the past three years. Okay, be honest. When you do your camps, how many more Warriors jerseys are you seeing than Bulls jerseys? <laughs> yes, yeah, there is definitely there. But you know what? <laughs> like we got we got some bold kids too. They'll come in there with their LeBron jerseys on, and oh. it's like, okay, I see, I, I see what it is. I, I see what it is. You know, like you guys are some LeBron fans, and not Bulls fans. Like, what's going on? <laughs> I want to talk to you about about Concordia Lutheran School. It was your grade school growing up. Uh, you donated a million dollars to it um, to, to to build new facilities like a gym and also um, facilities that can be used for for music and and other purposes. I want to know from like what is the emotional connection that you have to the school because um, that's a sizable check. It's a it's a yeah. huge donation to make, especially on um, uh, you know g- given that you only in the last few years have you really found the consistent right. place on a team. I mean, uh, right. it wasn't like, you know, you signed the $200 million max and threw a million dollars right, out right. the window. Um, wh- where did the emotional connection come from to make this specific donation? Why was it so important to you? Uh, it was a passion project, honestly. Um, you know, I think I've had maybe two or three passion projects. And one of those was Concordia. And um, it, it was... To be honest with you, I mean, it, it really, I don't think I would be where I'm at today or the person that I would, you know, the person that I would be uh, without going to the school because of the type of foundation that is set for me. I yeah. mean, it was, it, it, it just, for me, it really set the tone of, you know, the type of person I, you know, I wanted to be, um, you know, and then also just, you know, pushing myself academically, you know, and, and, and for it to be okay and to be cool to be smart you know and to get good grades that was the main thing it was like you know sometimes you're in an environment where you know it's not necessarily a positive environment and people around you aren't doing positive things and aren't you know pushing you to uh be the best person that you can be because they're too busy pulling you down you know and you know to be in an environment like concordia you know, it, it, it preached the opposite of that. You know, it was, it was cool to get good grades. It was cool to, you know, to be positive and to say thank you and, you know, and to pray and to, and to bless your food and, you know, all the things that, you know, it really taught me, um, things that I carry on today as a man. And, um, you know, again, just to be able to give back to the school and show them that I'm, you know, appreciative of, you know, the values, um, and ethics, and that they've kind of instilled instilled in me as a person, first and foremost, than anything. I think that's what's been able to carry me throughout the times of my life, the hard times, you know, going through my knee injuries, going through, you know, the failures that I've had in my life to, to be able to get back up and understand, you know, everything's going to be OK. Um, and so that was kind of the commitment that I wanted to make and being able to give back and, um, you know, really have a sizable commitment. Um, you know, with the basketball gym, turning into an auditorium, um, you know, the, the, 
uh, music and arts, as mm-hmm. well as it being a short, uh, a storm shelter, you know, all these different things, um, just to really bring back and to give back to the school and also to just to keep the tradition going um, for Concordia Luther. Yeah, I mean, if and and it, a really interesting thing is, I mean, you you make that kind of a donation and you have that kind of a legacy that you have in the in the city. You could have put your name all over that building, yet it's named after uh, your former coach. Yes. Uh, yeah, Tom, Tom Rupert. Rupert. Yeah, how how much? Um, or I guess would you just how would you describe your connection with him and the role he played mentoring you when you were when you were coming of age? Yes. Well, for instance, the school Concordia is 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 a tuition based school. It's not a public school, right? Right. It's a private school, and um, in order to basically, um, you know, in order to basically get, you know, they would give you discounts on your tuition, um, based on if you went to one of the three churches. Well, he introduced me to uh, Trinity Lutheran, which was, you know, in our neighborhood. And, you know, it was times where I would walk to church, you know, and and then there was times where they would come and pick me up and take me to church. And so they introduced me, um, you know, to, they introduced me to, you know, my faith, to, you know, the the love of Jesus Christ and, you know, and, and showing me, you know, what it was like um, to be in a different environment. Right. And to, you know, to, to go to school where I went to school at um, Tom Rupert was actually my basketball coach, uh, seventh and eighth grade. He was my seventh grade teacher and his wife, Ruth Rupert, was my kindergarten teacher. And that's kind of where it started for me. Um, they were my church sponsors. They helped me get baptized and, um, you know, just for them to have that impact. And, and then they did it. They dedicated probably almost 30 years of their life to the school. Yeah. And so you know, for, for them to have that gym named after them, it was only right. I think that was, you know, it just shows the type of commitment that they've put into the school and how many lives that they have touched, you know, uh, throughout, throughout all those years, you know, 30 years, you talk about how many kids went through those classrooms, played on those basketball teams. Um, you know, he's been the principal, he's been the athletic director, he's been a great school teacher, yeah. basketball <laughs> coach. you know what I'm saying? All the way through, all the way down. So, you know, again, that's a lot of lives that you have touched and impacted, you know, and that's a powerful thing. So I think it was it was just only right. Um, you know, you, I think most people that know you know your history with the NBA. I mean, a, a top pick and then the catastrophic knee injury and, the, and then fighting your way back. And I, I, you know, I think, you know, we you've talked a lot about your way back over the years. I'm just curious about what that hometown support system might have done to help you during that time i mean people like your old coach or other people from your hometown like did you was it a lifeline for you as you as you were trying to figure out how do i you know get back first of all get back to the league physically but also um just kind of reassess where where my my life is going um if it doesn't work out right right yeah family um first god first and foremost again you know that's where concordia you know and, and trinity will come in and just showing me the power of God, the power of prayer, the power, the power of faith. And then, you know, family, um, you know, again, I, I was, you know, went through some dark times. Um, my injury situation being 21, third year in the league, possible franchise cornerstone, and then have a career altering, possibly ending injury. Um, that was hard. It was hard. It was a hard thing to really grasp and, um, you know, I remember being out in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, about to get my surgery with Dr. James Andrews, who was like, 
you know, the Michael Jordan, the surgeries oh, yeah. and, 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 you know, just having him tell me, you know, listen, everything is going to be okay, but we don't have a blueprint. We don't, we don't know how long you're going to be out. We don't know when you could possibly be back. This is, you know, this is my opinion, but it's just an opinion, you know? And, you know, my dad and my grandfather, you know, they're both in that room with me. You know, they both fly out, you know, to see me and, and, and make sure that I'm okay and tell me that everything's going to be okay. And just, you know, again, just having that support system, knowing that, you know, these are the people that love and care for you, regardless of whatever happens, you know, not just Sean Livingston, the basketball player, but, you know, the, the person, the kid that, you know, obviously they raised to become a young man. So that was, that was, um, you know, that was obviously uh, a very pivotal moment in my life. There are a lot, you know, Peoria is known for Bradley University. That's where, that's how I ended up there. Um, I spent four years there and I'm very cognizant of, I, I became much more cognizant of how much more diverse the city is beyond the campus uh, as I, as I got a job there and I worked there. And right. I'm just curious right. from your perspective, like what was the experience uh, as an African-American in the city? And what would you tell like the students who are coming into town who, you know, from Chicago, from St. Louis about what kind of role they can play uh, within the community in terms of like having a positive impact or maybe getting out of their comfort zone and meeting the, the, a very wide and diverse uh, group of people that live there? Yeah, well, that's, man, I mean, honestly, that's, that's a very, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a very, I'm trying to think of the way to put it, you know, that's honestly that, that question right there. Um, you know, there was some hard times growing up, you mm -hmm. know, um, like you know, how, so? what, how, meaning, how would you describe meaning, it? Meaning, I mean, you know, in a sense of, you know, Peoria is diverse, but it's not as culturally diverse as the California. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you go, you know, for me, it was more of a culture shock to go out to California and, and walk down the boardwalk of Venice beach, you know, because you see different types of, of people, different walks of life. Right. And growing up in the Midwest, um, you know, it's, it's diverse to a point, but there's also still, you know, there's also still some, some, I don't want to say sideline racism, but you know, there's still a lot of, there, there's not as much progress, put it that way. There's mm -hmm. not as much progress in those type of, those type of areas. So it was, you know, it, it was a challenge growing up, you know, and, and also being a biracial kid as well. Um, you know, on both sides of the fence. Um, and I, and, and, you know, people that are biracial, I'm, I think that they would understand what I'm talking about. Um, you know, being a black kid going to all white school, you know, mm -hmm. or, you know, having a white mom being, you know, in kind of the inner city, um, a poverty situation, right. Where you're a light skinned kid going through and, you know, it's just, you walk those different types of lines and then that's a, you know, that can make for, you know, a very difficult childhood and, and, you know, experience, but also I was able to learn a lot as well. Um, you know, so I think my, I think the main thing is just being able to be yourself and, and, you know, really to push the, push the envelope, you know, as, as much as you can without, you know, being destructive, you know, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we're all just trying to, you know, fit in and be the best that we possibly can be. And we need each other to do that. You know, that's the selfless part that for me, you know, that really taught me that, you know, it wasn't just about me, you know, like I have my set of problems, but you don't, you know, everybody has their set of problems. So, you know, just 
try to keep that in mind, right? Like you don't know what somebody else is going through based upon their, their background, whether right. their beliefs, their religions, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, with the stuff that's going on, you t- we could talk all day about the politics of it, but yeah, um, that's why it's sad to see because, you know, the, the rhetoric of hate, you know, and destruction, like that's not what we're built off of. That's not, you know, that's not what we're trying to be. You know, and that's not who we're trying to be as a nation. And and so, you know, the kids, we're just trying to teach positivity, teach independence, teach, you know, create creativity, you know, be yourself, be, you know, continue to push the envelope. You know, if this is what you believe for, stand up, stand up for it. You know, so that's that's really my message in a nutshell. Yeah, no, it's a great message. And it's it's something that I think, you know, and, and for our listeners that are listening to this who might be taking your who might not understand, you know, where you're coming from. I think I'm understanding you saying like, yes, it, it was a, you know, there was progress to be made and progress is being made in those areas. Right. And that's why you go back there. That's why I mean, look, for anyone listening to this, you know, when you're back in Peoria a month ago, you're you're posing not just with with kids and with the African-American community, you're doing events with first responders and, and police. I mean, I think you're tr- it Absolutely. seems like you're trying to bridge the divide and continue to make people, uh, you know, uh, advance together. Right. I mean, I'm, try- I'm not trying yeah, to. Put I, words mean, in your mouth. I mean, we we have to push the envelope, you know, I mean, because. You know, at the end of the day, if we stay with the same concepts that's been, you know, a crutch for us for the last 30 years, then where's the progress? Right. You know, and if people are scared to speak up about it or scared to do something about it, then, you know, we're going to stay in the same place. We're going to stay stuck. So, you know, again, just trying to use basketball for me has been my vehicle. That's been my vehicle to take me all the way around the world to meet, you know, to meet the president of the United, you know, the, the former president of the United States. Um, you know, like it, it's really, you know, been a platform for me. So being able to use that platform to say, Hey, look, you know, this is something positive, you know, and we can all come together doing it. That's the beautiful thing about sports, you know? And so that's, again, that's what we're trying to do with our foundation, being able to come home. It's not just about black or white or, you know, um, um, Muslim or, you know, it's not about, you know, it's not about that for us you know it's just about positivity and being the best you can be and you know aspiring to inspire like right. you know and believing and dreaming like all of those things right that that's what it's about that's to me what it's about because then you can be the best person and best version of yourself you can be well, it's awesome. I mean, we, we appreciate you kind of going deep on this. Like we said, we, we're fascinated by the connection. You always hear about athletes in their hometowns. I just had a kind of interesting window having spent time there while you were there. And, and I would yeah. tell everybody to follow you on Twitter at, at Sean Livingston or follow you on yeah. Instagram. It's the Sean Livington, LivingstonFoundation.com if they want to know more about uh, you know the foundation, how to get involved. And if they see you in Peoria, for the love of uh, for the love of God, bring this man an Avanti's gondola with please, a side of a, sauce. Please, a pizza burger or something. <laughs> Sean, <laughs> thank you so much for the time. You're doing great work in the city. Uh, keep, please keep it up. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And we are back in the sports world. Athletes, coaches, media, they all have interests away from sports. And when they do, we make it our duty to destroy them on Twitter and tell them to get back to taking the clocks off their walls and watching game film all the time. On this show, we think that is stupid. All all life is is work and the things that distract us from work. So every week, 
Instead of calling these guys distractions, we give you our distractions, the thing that are things that are keeping our minds away from work. Guys, this is about as close to sports as I'm going to get on this show ever. Uh, but I think you'd agree it's important to break down. Gareth, I have lifted my 10-year ban on fantasy football. One decade after the Whoa. first <clears throat> one decade after the first time I ever did fantasy, I was asked to be in a I was asked to be in a league and I was like, sure. So I did my draft. Uh, I didn't do any prep. It was a snake draft, which, yeah, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Kill me later, internet. But uh, <laughs> it was fun, and I, I want to just put it through this context. I don't want to talk about my team. I want to talk about why I did fantasy again, and that was um, a, a little bit of loneliness. Uh, I, I read an article recently about middle-aged men just feeling removed from their social circles. And I have four yeah. hour, I have four hours every day of commuting. Uh, I travel every week. I'm in, I'm in Detroit, two kids. And when my friends were like, we need an extra one, I was like, you know what? I, don't, I wouldn't mind being back on a text chain with eight dudes that I know really well just trading jokes all the time. And I just want to know from your, your eyes perspective, without getting too deep on this, like this was the first time I was ever cognizant of doing something sheerly for the social need of it, not the social want of it, but being like, yeah, I should probably just be around my peer set more. It's interesting. Cause that was actually going to be my wide open was how you guys are engaging with the NFL this year at the start of the it's season. It's going to be mine as well. No kidding. Um, are we all just three lonely, I, I thro- lonely assholes who just can't can't find friends? If you have friends out there, what? You call no, us. that's a bit. <laughs> uh, well, I have a bit of a different motivation, but I'll get to that in a minute. So I quit fantasy this year just because I. It was like so three years ago we won our fantasy league, and it's like a CBS football fantasy league. So like winning it gave me some sense of pride. Like I felt good winning it. Like I won a 16 team two keeper league. Um, like th- that's challenging among a lot of football heads. I was feeling pretty good about myself next year. We didn't quite do as well trying to repeat. Then the year after we went balls to the wall, trying to win, made a bunch of crazy moves and it didn't quite sort out. And I just remember the last year I did it. Um, I was at the draft and I didn't know somebody drafted in the first round. And I just thought to myself, I, this might've passed me by. And I mean, at that moment you can either decide to double down and get back into it and learn more about the league or not. And I guess I chose not. And, uh, yeah, so this year I, I bailed on fantasy football, um, wanting to do other things with my time. And what I will miss is that my partner, when we were together, he lived in New York he has since moved to Washington and um, hold on a second. My mic just fell over. Sorry about that. Uh, he's now moved to Washington. And so the fantasy team was what's keeping us together. So we're going to have to find a new way to communicate. But um, I just, I don't know. I, I don't need that much more football in my life. So I've gone the opposite direction. Hmm. So I'm in two leagues, one at work. Um, and one 
among my former dodgeball teammates, which is probably the most fun of the two, just because we had a great, I had a great time with those guys when I first moved to Chicago. So, um, I, yeah, Brad, I definitely hear you on the social interaction side of the NFL season. For me, I think what I miss most about working in the NFL, you, you always hear like, oh, it's the locker room and the guys there. And I think that's very true. But for me, it was the structure of your week, um, knowing exactly what your routine was like Monday, Tuesday. The media week started Wednesday and went through Friday. Saturday, you did a little prep, and obviously Sunday is game day. I really miss that structure that I had professionally, and at least having the NFL season back on TV on Sunday, I feel like it's something that I can center my week around. Monday through Friday may not be the same, but knowing that football is Sunday, getting up on Saturday, getting done what I need to do do generally having my social exchanges on that day and then on sunday morning um the kind of the that weekly excitement of getting up um, watching some of the pre-game shows setting my lineups and then um i may watch all day usually i only watch either 12 to 3 or the, the 3 to 6 game um but i think that's what i'm most excited about i really feel like my life and my head feels more organized during NFL season, as silly as that might sound to some people. Yeah. I dropped NFL Sunday ticket and, uh, not happy about it, but that was the penance for buying new podcast equipment. So (laughs) I hope you enjoy Adam. What is distracting you this week? Um, I am on day 11 of the whole 30 and I haven't stabbed anyone in the face yet. So I'm happy about that. Uh, once again, that's no alcohol, sugar, grains, etc. focusing on lean protein, vegetables and healthy fat. So I feel better. My sleep is better. Um, I would say more than distracting me. It's what's helping me focus and I'm feeling really good. So that's what I got. Cool. Gareth, what about what you? What do you snack on? No, no. What do you snack on? That to me is always the hardest part of these things. So I've read a couple things. So I used to snack on almonds, but obviously like a couple handfuls of almonds is quite a few calories. So the things I've been reading have said switch to some kind of vegetable. So generally do carrot sticks at my desk. Very exciting. And one other question, where does hummus fit into the whole 30? Where does what? Hummus Hummus? fit into the whole 30. Hummus is not allowed. And I don't remember why, but I can look it up. No, I mean, beans processed variety of reasons. Got it. Yeah. Yep. All right, Gareth, what's the strategy? I guess you? that leaves me. So I had a I had an interesting day with my daughter, the first part of which would not have justified um a distraction, the second part of which will. And I will share both because I think 
they add up to something greater. So it's the first day of school here today. So obviously there's a lot of emotion around that. New York starts school a little later. Uh, it's September 7th. And, and so like the, they just went today. So it was her first day of first grade and I picked her up. We went out for ice cream. We went out for dinner. You know, it was a big day. She got up at five 30 this morning. She was thrilled, picked out her outfit the whole nine. And so we were walking back at the end of the day, long emotional day, having gotten ice cream and for the week before September 11th every year is when they turn on the big memorial uh, towers of light, like the towers that just kind of go up into the heavens. And she saw this and she's like, daddy, what's that? First, it was really cute. She was like, daddy, it's a night rainbow. And then she's like, what is that? And I was like, oh, it's a, it's a beam of light. And she's like, where's it go? I was like, goes up in the sky forever. And she's like, why is it there? And so I sat my not quite six-year-old daughter down and explained September 11th to her. Um, Oh, wow. And well, it felt like, look, she knows what death is. Kids figure that out. And it's not to say she doesn't ask a million questions about it, but in, in talking to her about it, it was really weird. Like I don't, I am someone who lives in New York. I grew up in Ohio, but my daughter is a New Yorker. You know, this is the only place she's ever lived. And that might be strange to me, but it's just sort of fact for her. And just what I told her was that that is a memorial that comes up every year for a week around this time, because one day on September 11th, and you're going to hear that phrase your entire life. Uh, something, some really bad people, uh, destroyed these two buildings and a lot of people died. And I said, it was, she was like, it was sad, right? I was like, yeah, that is a sad day. You're, I was like, you were always allowed to be sad on September 11th. And at the same time that day represented the worst of what people can do and the best of what people can do. And so as a New Yorker, you should know about it. And every year around this time, you will see those lights. And so you should think about those people when you see them. And I hope I did okay. And if there's any child psychologists listening um, who are appalled by what I said or the fact that I said it to a not quite six-year-old, uh, cool, let us know. Uh, just please do it as an iTunes comment that really helps our ratings. Um, <laughs> Good man. But yeah, it was... Uh, it was, I thought that was like, look, parenting is full of challenges and interesting moments and you wonder how you handle them. That's as good a one as I've had in a long time. And uh, yeah, so I figured I would share that as my distraction. That's awesome. Poignant words. Uh, clearly a day we will never forget. And, uh, you know, uh, shout out. Uh, let's end with our show with some shout outs. Let's shout out all first responders. Um, you know, nine eleven is a good a good reminder of people who run into danger. Uh, let's shout out Sean Livingston, a guy who we had such a fun time talking to on the show about Peoria, P Town, um, Leonardo's Pizza, Jimmy's Bar, the Lucky Lady. Uh great, great, great times. But also great to hear a little bit more about the why. We we just talk a lot about how athletes do charity stuff or whatever. I just, I just don't think we talk 
really candidly about the personal connection they have in a way that can breathe beyond the sound bites. And uh, Gareth, any shout outs? Shout out to Miss Rousa, my daughter's first grade teacher. Let's have a good year. Nice. Adam, what about all your teachers? Well, shout out first to, I mean, I, I think I've mentioned it before on this podcast. When I was in Green Bay, I did the Big Brothers Big Sisters program. Cody Dietz was my little brother, is my little brother. He is now a freshman at Augsburg College in uh, Minnesota. And in his first college game last week, he got in uh, late in the game and scored a 54-yard touchdown. So shout out to Cody. Congratulations, man. I know you do more big things in your future. And it's awesome. Finally. Yeah, it was really cool to um, to hear about it from him and his mom. And uh, he sent me the highlight and his birthday happened to be this week also. So shout out. Happy birthday, Cody. Uh, also want to say shout out, of course, as usual, to my boy Uzi, Def Jeff, Little Swanee, Meech, Ron Mack, and of course, my other cousin Ron. <laughs> and in yeah. the immortal words of rapper Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers, stay booty. Stay booty. Stay booty. Never 